Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 15. The Gospel of Luke chapter 15. And as you know, uh, and, and some of you may not know, we are in a series right now called Listen to Him. When Jesus was on the mountain of transfiguration, when He was transfigured before His disciples, uh, a voice came from heaven that said, Listen to Him. Talking about Jesus. And so we want to listen to Him this morning and Also, we have been uh, sort of together going through this devotional book here called Listen to Him. And so if you would like a copy, it's on the back table back there. Please grab one for your family as you depart today and join with us these last three weeks in those devotional readings. This was obviously part of your devotional reading. And as uh, as we jump into the text here, part of this has already been read for us. And so I want to pick up reading in just a moment uh, from... From the second part, really, because what happens here is this is this is a very familiar parable uh, of of Jesus, and there's really three parables here in chapter 15 that all deal with the same thing, the very same thing. But we need a bit of context in order to help us hear these words and to listen to Jesus. So what I want to do is is actually point your attention to the context of all three of these. Parables. And it's found here in verses 1 and 2. Notice these words here. Verses 15, uh, chapter 15, 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Let us pray. Jesus, we need your help, Lord. We want to hear you. Give us ears to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us nothing less than your Holy Spirit, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Tax collectors and sinners. This is a constant refrain in the Gospels. And maybe we could update the language just a bit, because even though we may not like tax collectors the IRS and what have you, we, we, we don't really have the same animosity toward the IRS that they did toward tax collectors and notorious sinners. So I've updated language to say this, politicians and those recipients of welfare. That's who Jesus is eating with. In other words, two polar extremes. Those that are the elite rich... And privileged, and those that are poor and disenfranchised. That's the ones he seeks out. That's the ones of whom he says, Today, Zacchaeus, we're going to your house and we're going to eat. That's the ones who a prostitute is at his feet, washing his feet with her hair, and he doesn't tell her to stop which would have been a scandal in his day. It would have been the buzz of the town. An unmarried man with a woman at his feet that's a prostitute, you can imagine. And so the words here, they grumbled because he received sinners and ate with them. Now there's three parables that then Jesus gives. So in other words, 
This is the context that, Luke's, that Luke frames these three next parables into. He wants us to understand that the point of them, all three, are going to be that one point that we should care about the lost, the disenfranchised, and the elite and rich. You see, it's not an either or, but a both and. For God gave his life in Jesus Christ for all people. Thanks be to God for that. <laughs> now, the first parable here is, you know it. If you ever read this, you know it. And it's, it's one that just sort of sticks in your head. It's a, it's a pastoral parable. Literally, a shepherd-like parable. And so you have the 99 sheep that are left, and he goes and finds the one. And then he says, hey, he calls his neighbors in, and everybody around, rejoice with me, for we found the one. And then the next parable comes in right behind it with a woman. And in the first century world, of course, the home would have been the primary influence of a woman, which is not to be downgraded, let me just tell you. But here, God is seen not as a shepherd, but rather as a first century woman in her home working, and she has ten coins, loses one, and leaves the nine to search for the one. So you get this numbers game, 99 and 1, 9 and 1, and the same thing happens. She gathers her friends, gathers her neighbors, and says, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Then, <laughs> Jesus gives this most memorable, probably, parable. Some call it the prodigal son parable. I think here in my Bible, it says the parable of the prodigal son. Probably in your Bible, there's a title there that says the prodigal son, or something of the sort. But it's a bit misleading. There's not just one son. We're told up front that there's two. And even the term prodigal seems a bit elusive. Like something we don't really use all the time and don't quite understand what it means to be prodigal. And so, I, I would submit to you this. These subtitles in your Bible uh, were not inspired of God. It doesn't mean they're not helpful, you understand. But they are not in the original writing. In other words, Luke didn't put the parable... Of the prodigal son. This is something that later interpreters have put there for us in order to help us see the flow of the text. And and that is helpful. But don't ever let that subtitle there determine the outcome or the meaning of the parable. So let's look briefly at at this parable of the prodigal son, or as I will rename it in a moment. the parable of the two sons, or maybe even further, the two lost sons. Well, the first thing is, what does it mean to be prodigal? Well, here, as we've already read this morning, you have the younger son of the two that comes to dad and says, Hey, I want my portion now. I'm out. I'm bouncing. I'm done with this whole show. And so he leaves and goes and it says, basically, waste. There's one interpretation, squandered the property that he had been given on loose living. 
And we can imagine the various things that it would have been spent upon. But no matter what, it's squandered. Just almost, if you will, it's a type of extravagant wastefulness. Or maybe we could say a reckless spending. Just, yeah, let's do that. And then till it's all gone. So he says to his dad, I want what is mine now. And his dad gives him this. He goes and wastes it all. Then he's empty. Because sin always leaves us empty. God says don't do this. We say I want my own way. And what we end up seeing is that he was right. Father was right. And that is we end up in emptiness. Whether it is sexual sin, financial sin, bitterness sin, sin is sin with the same result always, which is the payment of death. And so twice, he's sitting in a pig sty, which, if you know anything about Judaism, and of course first century Judaism, to mess with pigs would have meant you were unclean and unable to go into the temple. So not only would he have been worthy, unworthy and unclean to go to his father's house, but also the father's house. And here he is sitting in the slop, and he would have gladly eaten that, but he was not permitted He's down in the dumps. He went from the top to the bottom. And Satan loves this. The enemy loves this. He loves to tempt us with the smell of something. And as soon as we partake of it, he turns the tables and begins accusing us. Hasn't this happened to you? It surely has happened to me. It's if I just can say this to that person. If I can just get this feeling... If I can just do that one thing, if I can just have that amount of money, if I can have that amount of respect and acknowledgement, everything else will be fine, like the golden ticket, like the false utopia that we all chase after. And then when we get it, and when we go ahead and do it and say, I want mine, we're left empty. Sin leads to an emptiness That should break our heart. And so twice here he says, I'm not worthy. And it's interesting that term worthy. I actually actually wrote in my notes here as as we were doing our uh, scripture readings today. The scripture says in Psalm 32 here, it says, Happy are they to whom the Lord imputes no guilt and whose spirit there is no guile. That's kind of a guile. It's, It's a weird thing to say, isn't it? Except for the fact in the Hebrew, oftentimes spirit or emotion means kidneys. So like the actual term means your kidneys. You say, that's really weird. People in the ancient world are weird, and they are. But I would submit to you that ancient people would look at us and say, how weird are those people looking at these little devices all the time? They're not even talking to each other. They're just sitting there um, and other things. But we do something similar, don't we? We say things like, I love you with all my heart, right? 
well, what, what is that all about? I mean, are you talking about the four-chambered palpitating organ in your chest? No, that's weird, you know? I love you with an organ. Uh, I need to get out of here then, you know? Interestingly, for the ancients, they did a lot of sacrifice. That's what the young man was actually asking about, I think, uh, before he left there. I might need to follow up with him. But um, when they did these sacrifices, one of the things that would be last to be discovered were the kidneys. They were surrounded with fat. And when you even put the offering, which would have been an animal, in the fire, one of the last things to really get to were the kidneys. And so this was the place of emotion. Because oftentimes we hide our emotions. So, so the ancients saw the kidneys as the seat of the emotions or of the spirit, what is hidden in you. So it's interesting that the term here for not worthy has its etymology or its roots. That's the root of the word. It has its roots in the idea that there's no weight to you. In other words, I'm not worthy, which means there's no substance here. I'm empty. I am broke. And that's a hard thing to admit. I hear people oftentimes talking about how much money they make or a bonus. Rarely do we talk about when we're broke. We're not ready to advertise that. I'm up to debt in my eyeballs, you know. <laughs> I have a lot of cool stuff, but I can't pay for it. You know, it's like you don't normally advertise that kind of stuff. There's not much to emptiness. It's fascinating that the word for glory is the opposite of unworthiness. And glory is a liver. <laughs> Alright, so in Hebrew, liver is the weighty thing in animals. I mean, if you have a cat, you know that sometimes, especially an outside cat, you know that cats are notorious for offering sacrifices to their owners. Um, and our cat is no different that's outside. It, uh, it brought in, I won't, I won't sadden many people today because some people are very offended by this kind of stuff. But it brought in a type of animal and there was the liver. And the liver is always this meaty, weighty organ. And for the ancients, when they did the sacrifices, they said, oh, well, here's the heart. Well, here's this. Well, here's the lungs. But this liver, this is of substance. This was oftentimes where they would predict the future based off what was going on with the liver. The weight of glory. This prodigal son, prodigal meaning this extravagant, wasteful spending. This blowing of money, but also of life. It's not just, it's not just the point that he lost all his money. He's lost his life as a privileged son in a loving family. It's one thing to lose money. Money can always be made. To lose relationships, that's something significant. We need to take that to heart. There's always more money to maybe. Your house burns down, you can make most all of that stuff back. But relationships, if you burn them to the ground, boy, that's a sad thing to see. We've all done it. We've all participated in it. We all have family members that we've burned bridges that we need to reassess. Here's the point. The father has kidneys. <laughs> he has compassion. Literally. 
compassion for his son. So his son is in the slop, and he says, you know what? If my father were to see me, I think he'd have at least enough compassion to accept me as one of his servants because his slaves are better off than I am. He just said, I'm going to go to my father. He repeats himself twice, which I think is fascinating in the text. And he says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to tell my father, I'm going to be one of your slaves because I am not worthy. There's nothing. I have nothing to get. I'm empty. I'm broken. I'm broke. So he goes, and his father sees him from afar. And that beautiful story runs to him, embraces him. Interestingly, because he is unworthy, what's the first thing his father does to him? Go get a robe. Go fire up the grill. We're cooking ribeyes. Put a ring on. Kisses him. Weights him down with what? Familial love. The love of the family. In other words, you are accepted. Clothing him, so to speak, in a type of you are back in the family, son. You're not just going to be a servant. And we rejoice and we say, thanks be to God for this salvation. And then that's the end of the story, but it's not. You see, even our reading this morning ended with just the celebration where they're starting to celebrate for the new son that has come back from the dead, we are told, to life again. But that is not where the story ends. Instead, there is this second son, this elder son. And we need to particularly take note of his response to the younger son's lostness to foundness. Because remember, the context is the lost. Verses 1 and 2 again. The Pharisees are mad because Jesus cares about the lost. He's not having dinner with them to hang out with them and have theological discussions. Instead, he's constantly got his eye to the door to go and reach the lost. When he does go to supper, by the way, you read that this week, he interrupts the supper with with really, or maybe it was last week, with rebuking them at their own dinner table. And they're angered by this. Well, here's the thing. This second son hears music. He smells the hamburgers. And he sees people dancing. What's going on? Well, your brother's back. And he refuses to go in. Notice the words here. Now his older son, verse 25, was in the field and he came and drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said to him, your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out. So you have two motions of the father. The father comes out and has compassion on his son, and he comes out and entreats his son here. father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. 
But when this son of yours came, who has devoured, squandered your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, just saying, it's a pretty good argument. I mean, I'm just saying. I totally get that argument, right? I mean, is anybody with me or am I alone on that? I mean, it's like, that makes a whole lot of sense. It's like, what do you want your son to do? You want the son to stay at home or go out and blow all your money and come back? And then you add more money to it. It's like, it's, first of all, it's not economical at all. If we're thinking that way, which I typically try to. And it also is unfair. Let's be honest. I mean, he's right. He's been working in the house the whole time while his brother's out there squandering all that they work for. And now he's just entered back in. Like, you just get to walk back in. You just come right through the doors. And not only do you just get back in, but you're celib- this is celebrated activity? I mean, surely something within us should rise up and say, surely this doesn't need to be celebrated? I mean, I identify with the argument because for most of my life, I've been the older brother. I don't mean just biologically. Notice what the Father says. It's important. Son, (laughs) that's important enough there. You are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. These are tough words. This this was tough words for the first hearers. And it's tough for us today. Maybe you don't so much identify with the first brother. Maybe, like me, you say, yeah, I think my life is a little more like the second brother. Well, let me tell you, both brothers are lost. Both brothers were enslaved. But only one went away righteous. Only one got into the party. Let us be warned today that just like in the Bible when we read about the rich, we are the rich. When we read in the Bible about the older brother here, most of the time we are the older brother. And the correction is not for the first, but for the last. And that makes us angry. Because of the same reason the first brother left, which was this saying, I want my own. You know, maybe the older brother hadn't disobeyed up to this point, 
But now at the most critical point, which is entry into the party, which is a representation in parabolic form, as you've seen before, of entering into the kingdom of God. Because as some commentator has said before, the kingdom of God is a party. At the critical moment of entrance into the party, he refuses to go. And as I shared with you a couple weeks back from The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis's book, one of the points he makes in the book is that people don't go to hell because God says, you go to hell. Instead, people refuse to go to heaven. They don't want to go to that kind of party. We need to be warned, friends. I need to be warned today. If our heart is not for the lost, we do not have real joy. We must not equate our situation in life, whether we have a lot of money or a little bit of a lot of money, (laughs) as we are in the right. If we're respected at work, if we're seen as an upright and decent person, that is not righteousness, friend. For righteousness is of the heart not of the actions alone. And I've lived the older brother life doing the right things and not caring at all about those who are in despair. And saying simply things that I regret like they're only getting what they deserved. Well, you know what? The older brother was a prison in his own house. He was a prisoner, a servant, and not a son of his own doing, not the father's doing. You see, this parable is deep. And this parable is a wellspring that we can go to and should go to to be forewarned about the final end of things. Because I don't know if you've heard or not, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is this. And that is, there's a party there's a party every Sunday. This is what we're, we're partying today. And it's a, it's a microcosm of the big show that will be the marriage supper of the Lamb in heaven when all the saints of God are gathered around the table. We gather around a small table today. But there will be a day that will be a large table with all of the saints and everyone is invited. But Jesus' point over and over again in these parables is, is that those of privilege, those that seem to be doing well in life, like many of us, have equated their good works with salvation. And you are wrong. If you do not have the Spirit of the living God in your heart, the control center of who you are, if there is no weight to your inner life, no glory, then you are bankrupt today, friend. And I say that with eyes of compassion because I have lived that. I know it well, the older brother's position. I don't know the other position well, but I do know this one. And I know this too. There's a lot of rejoicing in the first parable and in the second parable. And then when you get to this third parable, there's a lot of rejoicing as well. But the one person who doesn't do it is the good boy. Which is why 
it shouldn't complicate us when Jesus says, they left the 99 righteous ones for the lost one. The point is, it's hyperbole. They're not righteous. We think we're good. We think we're righteous. I had some kid tell me yesterday, I'm trying to remember now where. I don't normally run into children except for at my house, but one of them said, I'm a good person. I said, really? How do you know that? Is it just because I'm good? That's most of our response. Whereas Jesus says, friend, why do you, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Do we care about the lost? The rich lost, the poor lost. Do we seek them out in our life? That's the point of these parables. The shepherd sought out the lost. Didn't wait. Please don't misunderstand what we're trying to do here at Harvest Point. We're not waiting for the lost to come in just because we're great people. I heard one preacher, he said, he said, that's like uh, winking at a girl in the dark. The light has to go out of this building to your, your work. I can't get in there. It's classified for most of you. Your family. Your friends. Who else will be the light to them? But you. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Lord Jesus, give us, give us kidneys for the lost. Compassion for the let us feel it down in here. Give us eyes to see them like you saw them. And not just favor the decent. I mean, are we, are we willing to have the undecency brought into our proper decency? Well, I got news to, for you. We are inviting them in through organizations like HAP and CAP. But we must personally get into the mess of others. That's the point of Jesus' mission. He got involved in my mess. And I ought to be thankful and grateful enough to get involved in somebody else's mess. Because in here, look, you would have looked at me and you'd have been like, oh yeah, he's a good old chap. But not in here I wasn't. I was the older brother until his love broke in. Do you hear? It's joy in my... It, I can't describe it because his love is undescribed. But I just have a love for people I've never had before. And maybe you say, well, I I would like that. Then pray for it today. Because His love desires to break in. His love of the Spirit of God. 
The kingdom's a party, and too many times we're sad-faced coming in here doing our duty, imprisoned right here in the church in front of God our Father. Let it not be so, friend. It doesn't have to be that way. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a son. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a saint. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.